Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show, episode 283. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, written by Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Dave uh, Dave Callahan. Before our spoiler review begins, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is where you can hear us talking about extra MCU topics and even MCU adjacent topics, whatever the case may be, like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse box office, the latest Marvel Studios impacts as a result of the ongoing WGA strike. I'm also going to talk about what Apple's latest announcements mean for the future of Disney and Marvel Studios and programming and how we consume these things since there was a Marvel tease in uh, in Apple's announcements on the day that we are recording this uh, this spoiler review. So if you want to access Fan Show Plus, it is a podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers. That's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for Fan Show Plus or the MCU Fan Show channel. Uh, you can find it there and subscribe so you will have access to those shows. Also, make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm exhausted uh, from moving, but uh, besides that, uh, I am I am very well. Uh, my favorite character came out with a new animated movie, and uh, like always, we're never lost for words. But you know, I feel like we I say this every time, but like I get so excited about these shows. There's and there's always so much to dig into, and this is obviously no exception. And I've been kind of as as always, I always keep these on the. Very, my, my thoughts on the on the film very close to the chest and you know i've got today's show and we'll have you know the comic binge will do another show as well and i'm excited to break down different aspects of each one um you know but yeah it's this is a this is this is a heavy one this is a heavy one today in my opinion it's a heavy one well i think there's a lot of pressure on this show just because this movie deserves a really good podcast hopefully i don't know it's up to you listening whether or not we do uh <laughs> we do justice to uh what sure. i think and I'm, I'm pretty sure paul will agree although i don't know we haven't actually nope. talked about it i only saw the same tweet that those of you who follow you know p thug uh <laughs> on twitter like we've all seen the same thing i don't actually know how <laughs> paul feels about this although I mean, I have a pretty good idea. He likes yeah. good things, and this is a pretty damn good thing in Spider-Man across the across yeah. the Spider-Verse. And um, you know, I mentioned MCU adjacent topics, and and hey, this might as well be as good a time as any to just say, hey, I did say spoiler review at the top of the show. The title of the episode says spoiler review, so we should all be clear on what that means. So we will get into it as we discuss this movie the MCU implications and MCU adjacent implications that come along with Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which is part of the reason why we would talk about it here on MCU Fan Show, even if it's not necessarily 
a Marvel Studios release. We did talk about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, a few years ago when it was in theaters, and uh, we tend to have a we have a tendency to review Marvel-based movies as much as we can here on MCU Fan Show. So here we are talking about a movie, Paul that uh, we can debate where it's at later on down the line in terms of how complete or yeah. incomplete the story is based on the way across the Spider-Verse ends. But in terms of its uh, two-hour and 16-minute runtime, roughly somewhere thereabouts, I was blown away by this movie. Mm. My tweet, which was not nearly as cryptic as Paul in, in that it wasn't cryptic at all, I said that was one of the greatest <laughs> things I had ever seen. Um, it was just absolutely extraordinary. And that's how I feel about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's how I kept feeling numerous times throughout uh, my uh, my screen, my initial viewing of this movie, which was in IMAX. And I was just sitting there uh, just completely in awe of the visualing the rapidly shifting and changing evolving visual stylings from universe to universe within the spider-verse it was just really something that was so wonderful and, and beautiful to behold but also that superficial you know well i think the aesthetics are, are more than superficial even though they are just the, we are just talking about the look of the movie but what really elevates this one, kind of like the first one, but in a very different way that I think is relevant to the conversation about Miles Morales, what it means to be Spider-Man, but also I would venture to say what it also means to be a Spider-Man fan, what it means to be a fan of mm -hmm. comic books and comic book movies. And it's done in a very artful way uh, that I would say is kind of like what maybe other things have gone for in the past. Um, I think Across the Spider-Verse was able to achieve in, in a very unique and really, really special way. I mean, thematically, I think this movie is on point. Visually, it is just so above and beyond on point. Uh, there's really nothing about this movie that threw me at any point. And I'm the kind of person you all have heard me say it, oh, unless this is your first time listening to the show. Thanks uh, for being here, and ho hopefully you like what you hear and you want to stick around. But uh, those of you who have heard us on spoiler reviews before, you know I, I tend to not want to rush to any sort of ranking or classification of Marvel movies. And even though this isn't Marvel Studios or MCU, it's well, it kind of is, sort of. Um, even though it's not one of those things technically... Um, I still go about it with the same process when it comes to comic book movies, superhero movies, whatever you want to call them, and that I, I don't like just immediately saying that you know something is is in that elite class. But look, I already said it. That's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. So um, obviously, I, I think this is something that is in the upper echelon in the history of superhero movies, not just Marvel, just any of them, and that not just animated, live action, whatever medium you want to assign to it, I don't care. Um, this is one that just immediately as I was watching it, and I know I'm not alone in this feeling. I know this is almost this is pretty much the consensus when it comes to this movie, but across the Spider-Verse, it felt really, really special the entire way through that movie to where if there's any disappointment in how it ended, I would say that's more because people obviously wanted more of this spectacular story that was that was being told to us. So uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the 
you know, the, the short version of this podcast for me is I absolutely freaking loved it. This one is, this is a true gem. Wow. Um, so for those who don't, you know, have listened to this for a long time, know that I'm a, the Spider-Man is my favorite fictional character of all time. And I love everything almost, yeah, almost, I love everything about Spider-Man. I love Miles Morales. I love majority of the, of the spider characters. They've re, really have either introduced in the last like five, eight years, or I say 10 years now, uh, last 10 years or 15. If you're, you know, Miles is a little bit older than that. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of controversies in which I don't want to get into, but it, it's just, it's really amazing. No pun intended. Uh, to see the evolution of these characters like Miles Morales and now, you know, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen, uh, Ghost Spider, Spider-Woman, whatever you want to call her, and see how they've completely altered the, to me, the tra- the trajectory of the Spider-Man, like, mythos. And I think uh, where Spider-Man could be headed in the future. And it, it just just in right now, into the Spider Verse was obviously the first thing, and I knew that was cha- that was a big deal when it happened. Even with the minor success financially, I knew that movie was that movie was important on many different levels, and it was evident because it won an Academy Award. And then, I, and and I don't know if this was a byproduct of the Academy Award or just a kind of a perfect people finally. You know, watched the movie on Netflix, but basically found a life on home video and whatever, you know, way you consume it and just took a life, life of its own a little bit, even more so than I anticipated, which we'll get to, I guess at some point, but you know, I, I, we, if you listen back to the old episode we did uh, back in the day, people that I, me and Sean just gushed about this movie and I, I could not believe how much I love this movie. I made my wife watch it Which if you, if I make my wife watch, watch anything related to this kind of stuff, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a big deal for the most part. And this one, even she admitted that this, how much she loved it. And I, I always had a really special place cause I really, I loved miles story and I loved the, what it meant for Spider-Man and kind of there was a little more of a minor meta message in that, but it was definitely there and going into across the Spider-Verse, you know, I had no idea what we were going to get as far as, a, you know, maybe a story because I stay away from spoilers and I just didn't know. And I kept seeing all the, the hype, all the hype around it. Like everyone's saying it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's this, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I started seeing that everywhere. Even, you know, to the point where right before it was coming out, it was like getting heavier and heavier. And then all of a sudden people had been, you know, watching it on Thursday because I didn't see this till Saturday. I started seeing the same thing, Sean, like you and everybody else. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be nuts. And I, and I feel so dumb for not getting to it sooner. But basically I go see it Saturday and I am just blown away of the, like you said, the assault on the visuals you know, that you get in this film is so, it's so unique. It's so creative. And again, like you, we talked, there's not much we can really say about the visuals other than they're amazing, you know, like they're, and I do have some things to say about that, but it was, it was, it was a, not a life changing experience, but it was definitely kind of, I mean, in some ways it kind of was, it, well, well, I mean, yeah. it's it just, Let's go ahead and talk about the visuals just real quick, because like we don't 
here's what we don't want to do in this podcast yeah. is we don't want to describe to you here's how ama- here's how beautiful this thing looked it's like you sure. know how beautiful it was you looked at it um and you're much better off just going and looking at it again than hearing us describe it because something i guarantee something is to be lost no matter how great we may be yeah, right. or how awful we may be at describing things mm-hmm. but i do think okay so life-changing life-altering paul yeah maybe that comes in a little strong but it is genre bending. It is yes. a, a watershed moment, like in animation. Like that is something that you, I, I don't want to say you as in the listener, but it sounds like you felt, and I know I felt while I was watching this was you, I mean, I like everybody has, I think most, a lot of us have consumed a lot of animation over the course of our lives. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have something, and I don't care what the medium is, because that's what animation is. It's a medium for storytelling. Um, and it can be multiple mediums for storytelling, as these Spider-Verse movies have have so beautifully demonstrated. But when you see these things, and it's easy to take for granted of like, this is how this gets made, or this is how, this is the form that we normally see and that we can kind of be used to and almost desensitized to, and as I said, almost kind of take for granted. But this was a moment, I mean, a two hour, two and a quarter hour moment of Across the Spider-Verse, where I was very aware, as I, without it taking me out of the story, like I was still yeah. totally dialed in, invested in the story, but I don't know, maybe it's not necessarily life-altering, but it almost feels that way, because you really, yeah. truly are, in, in a rare, very rare instance, seeing something that you, in, in, its, in its medium and in its form, that you really never have seen before. And that yeah. is that is a very rare feeling. I mean, you the way you can always talk about the way things are constructed and all of that, but it's in a much more literal, tactile sort of way of like I just have never seen anybody even try or even dream up how to do this. And I saw, like you all did, or I think most of you all did, into the Spider-Verse. We all saw that movie a few years ago. And this feels like a huge leap from that like this doesn't just feel like it it feels Mm -hmm. like it's completely shattering and just breaking new ground for animation and and certainly when you look at audience expectations going forward um good luck in a lot of ways but also everything that comes after yeah there's a challenge that's been laid down by across the spider-verse but there's also an exciting opportunity that's been created um, because of you know all the doors that across the spider-verse just kicked in across every universe and every form for animation and you know potentially live action so um, I don't know if that's life altering Paul but it's it's pretty close I think you bring a, a, a great point and and I think that's what you're essentially gonna you know talked about what I think most of us kind of saw is was it's very unique and the watershed moment of, a, of something of a new kind of I'm gonna go and say it not just animation style but I think and I'm again this kind of goes back into what my the comic binge the YouTube channel that I'm doing and we're gonna talk a lot about tomorrow to me you know when people say like comic book film everyone is everyone already knows what I'm talking about they say like superheroes right well obviously the comic book medium is more than superheroes right and I'll never forget there was a uh, an artist I forgot her name um, she she had like these at Emerald City Emerald City Comic Con a couple years ago she had these like stickers saying you know comic book is comic books are not a me- or not a genre it's a medium right and 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 she's not wrong and people say comic movies they mean superhero movies right like I'm not gonna def- I'm not gonna get on anybody about that but the reason why I'm being very specific about this right now is because 
the one thing and I've talked about this a lot, I think I want to say in the last review, but I know in the recently in the last year when I was rewatching Spider-Verse a couple of times, I've gone on about on Twitter that how much that first Spider-Verse movie really leaned heavily into the comic book medium as a fun nod, but not only a fun nod, but it kind of dove a little bit into storytelling as a little bit and across the Spider-Verse. And one of the best or one of the ideas of visuals that we're talking about that I think that not all of it, but a good chunk of that they take that that people love, love about this movie is taken straight from the comic book medium. And yeah, it's there's incredible. editor's notes. Yeah, well, the editor's editor notes, which are hilarious. Those are though, and those are fun. Like those are fun yeah. nods, right? But I'm talking about like the the backgrounds when they're, they're oh, yeah. emphasizing the characters. It's like it's like oh my god, like this is this is brilliant. Like I can't believe they're they're that, that's old school comic book stuff, right? And they're using it not just as a nod, but to emphasize emotion. They're using like the multi power, you know, multi panels. You know, it, it's not a layout because you know, really comic book, you're reading a layout, right? A, a story, a page is supposed to tell you a story, so it's not that one for one. But they're using, you know, Ang Lee Hulk tried to do the same thing with mixed results. And in Spider-Verse, every time they did multi-panels, it was phenomenal. It was perfect. And it really showed you, I think, the power of the, the medium of having multi-panels, like a small little panel here. There was, a, a, I think, a part, again, I've only seen it once. There's a part where Spider-Bite's face um, – She's like super small in a small panel looking back and I'm like and the, and she's like the wide shot, you know, it's behind her. Oh, my God. It was like, oh, I, I was like, that's exactly they're nailing it. There are comic book fans. They're using the medium and crossing it literally with film and using it not as a shtick, but a, an effective way to tell story and convey emotion. It was that. And again, I'm a comic book guy. That's I'm going to nerd out about it. But I'm just going to tell you all. They may have tapped into something, but like I think a lot of people have tried in like in artsiest way, in artsy ways, whereas Spider-Verse takes this really artsy aspect and makes it effective and actually does it like bangs it out of the park 10 out of 10. And I was blown away. I, and they do other things, obviously, more than the comic book influence. But to me, I was blown away how much they use as for fun nods, I think are great, but actually even they, they took basically from Spider-Verse, the first one, Sean, and then amped it up. And there is, I don't want to say criticism, not criticism, but maybe some, uh, there's a good argument to talk about, about that, or a little bit of fear I have with that. And that's a whole different su subject we'll get to before we're, we're, we're done. But I just want to say now you're right. Like they took so many influences and are using these to their advantage and the comic book medium is not just a fun nod. It's a full-on effective way of telling stories that they are effectively using in this film. And that, like, actually, I think, in my opinion, have elevated the storytelling immensely. So I want to say right now that that is something that people that don't know, they need to realize. It's more than just multi-panels. It's way more than that. It's, cr it's crazy what they're doing. It absolutely is. Well, even the stuff that... You can look at it and say it's just it's different animation styles, and it is, mm -hmm. but also it's what that's conveying, which is also different art styles of yep. that are in comic books and different coloring styles in comic books and just the different textures that you get depending on yep. the artist. And, and I, I love that you get to see like we we really enter this movie through Gwen's perspective this time, <sighs> which so I also love. Like that was something, and and look, I. I shut off trailers on this one after like the second one or, or whatever. I think there was like a teaser a year ago and then another trailer. And then I was just kind of done. Maybe one more after that. I, I don't remember the exact count, but I, I shut this stuff down a while ago. And, and so 
I didn't know that there would be as much of the movie from Gwen's perspective as there was. And, and that really added to, and we'll get into it thematically, of course, but just the visual style and the way that set the tone. And then even the way, obviously, the, the plot of this is we have... You know, we have villains going around from different, from one universe, not from their home universe, into these other ones, into these other timelines, because of course the collider and everything blowing up at the end of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So there's our mechanics of how all this stuff is, is going on, um, and I, I like that it was how this is happening is tied to into the Spider-Verse, not even though they reference multiverse events like Spider-Man No Way Home in this mm-hmm. movie. Kind of, sort of. Um, even though they have that reference, the actual mechanics of how this is working in the plot, it is tied directly back to Into the Spider-Verse. But then you see, like, the Da Vinci-style vulture that comes into this. Like, as if comic books and superheroes did exist back then, this is how they would have been drawn. And I, I think just having that be a setup for what we go on to see, and, and we, I did, we knew enough from the trailers to expect this, that as we go through these different universes throughout the Spider-Verse, we're going to be able to see these different styles. And each one comes with its own animation, uh, its own character design, its own, uh, obviously, background, and all all these different things, its own animation style. Everything gets to be its own. And they did a better version of what uh, of what I've talked about in in the past, because I just talk about this stuff on a podcast. People who are smarter and more creative come up with better ways to do these things. And so I talked about how if one day, and it's already here, you were merging something like Spider-Verse with live action, how nobody should really skip a beat. Like whatever universe you're in, that's as real to you as your home universe. Even if things look different, you're not like, oh, you're a cartoon and I'm not. Nobody really blinks at the at the differences. And that's what they did here. But it was even more, I'd say, it, it was a lot smoother than even I would have guessed it, it could have ever been. Like, you have all these different spider people from all these different universes, all these different styles, and nobody blinks at it whatsoever. It just doesn't stop. And even when they all converge, when you're we spend all this time at this hub and we start seeing all these different spider people that we know from all these different mediums and all these different animated shows and wherever else we've seen the video games, wherever we've seen them, they all end, including uh, a live action Donald Glover, which we will get to. We see all of these different things and just nobody skips a beat. Everything, every spider person, every environment, everything is as real to everyone as their home universe, and and nobody's really looking at it of, oh, this is crazy, we're in this different spot. Everybody just kind of accepts it and rolls with it, which is totally the right way to do it. So that way, just we as the audience can be the ones to not have to trip over all the, oh, this is different, this is different, this is different. Just let it wash over us all. So we just see all of these crazy different, these contrasting visual styles juxtaposed with one another and it just go and we're just awash in all of that beauty and from one extraordinary backdrop to the next and it all just works i mean sure you can't you could say okay well when we get to lego spider-man you can't call that seamless but it feels seamless within the story like 100 seamless when we jump through i mean i know from a visual standpoint i can look at those two two shots side by side and say yes those things are different but within the story as it flows it all just feels real it all just feels part of one entity of this spider-verse and And as you mentioned paul um Mm -hmm. you know the 
yes, the the way it's using comic books for its visual, taking its visual cues and its visual styling, but also the way that this movie, because I, I, of course, I mean, I grew up reading, I mean, Marvel comic books, Hulk was my intro to Marvel, but obviously Spider-Man was a big part of that. And I grew up reading comic books, but a huge, huge, huge part of my superhero fandom, especially my early superhero fandom before I was really reading all that great. I was watching reruns of superhero animated shows, whether it was the 1982 Hulk series, which wasn't relevant to this show, to this movie. Um, but hey, if we ever get the Hulk verse, but that oh, will never happen. That will um, never happen. But uh, I, I can dream, but that's where yeah, it will fair. stay. Um, but look, I grew up watching, whether it was VH, old VHSs and puffy cases or just recordings on tapes or whatever, reruns of the 60s Spider-Man animated series, the 80s Spider-Man animated series, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, giving way to Spider-Man in the in the 90s, to many different iterations with Spectacular Spider-Man, which finally got to be uh, honored by being present uh, in this with Josh Keaton showing up uh, in this uh, in this movie. And animation has been such a key part of it, and even the the Lego stuff as well, because I know. When we think about Legos and as theatrical releases, we think more Warner Brothers and we think more DC, but obviously Lego has been a big part of Marvel and there have been Lego Marvel movies. They're not the same as like the big theatrical stuff, but all of these things have been present. And what I love about, and then of course, live action. Across the Spider-Verse pays homage and tribute to all of it and that it all gets to count. It all gets to be a part of this, which is this wonderful, I mean, there's also, uh, there's definitely a, a message to fans that I, I'm sure the filmmakers are hoping that that fans hear, and you know, some fans might may need to hear it more than others but and, and take to heart. But also there is this, this warm, very loving message to fans of it all counts, you're all part of this, um, no matter what your entry point was to this world, no matter where you entered the spider, no matter where you jumped into the Spider-Verse, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's all valid. It's all part of it. It's all part of what has shaped this character, the world's relationship with the with this character, our own individual relationships with this character. It's all part of this tapestry of, uh, of Spider-Man. And I just, I absolutely loved the way that, uh, I, I loved the way that it, it did that. And I know you could just say, well, that's, that's an easy win, but it's not because all of that could just be a jumbled mess that all just feels like a bunch of fan service and doesn't feel like an actual story being told that there's anything actually relevant to that story. Um, that's the risk that you run when you do things like that, but they navigated it very, very, very successfully. And that's a, a huge, huge part of why I love this movie so much. You know, one of the things you were just talking about how things are seamless, right? And I think one of the things about it, and again, I think one of the my one of the most fascinating things about this this movie is the fallout from all the things that this movie does. And I, there's a reason why I'm bringing this all up with this whole like, seamless thing, because one thing that across the Spider Verse does, and I think you look at its predecessors before it in, in superhero films or, or just whatever if you call it sequel films, is that like the Dark Knight trilogy before it, 
that the first movie lays out the groundwork. It was a moderate hit, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. a moderate, you know, pretty moderate hit, but it built up goodwill and people will kind of go, okay. And they discover it after, you know, they came out in video, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the interesting things about it is that you lay the groundwork so that you can have that seamless moment with Lego Spider-Man and it's perfect. It fits perfectly. You you earn that spot to have that moment of levity and fun because they've earned it in that first film. And that's the one thing that I'm really hoping studios – and again, I got lots of things besides this for about what the studios can learn and maybe not learn. But we'll, we'll get that much later. But I just want to say that because these movies are – or was allowed to kind of find an audience and Sony kind of just didn't like dismiss it because it wasn't a juggernaut like bo- or box off a smash out of the gate with the first film. It was critically, you know, obviously praised and that's maybe one reason why they kind of went, well, maybe we should keep this around. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure there's lots of critical movies that don't get, they don't yeah, get Yeah, well, I, I'm sure with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, they, they saw that the people, look, whoever watched the movie, and it wasn't a massive box office hit. It was $384 million worldwide in 2018. And what's crazy is the yeah. the opening, the movie made $190 million domestic throughout its entire run into the Spider-Verse. Um, it got most of the way there. It's definitely more than halfway there with over $120 million in its domestic mm-hmm. opening for Across the Spider-Verse. And look, that's... That's the system working as it should. An audience finds something, they like that yep. thing, and then they're re- if they missed it the first time around in theaters, they're ready for the next one in theaters. And yeah, Batman Begins to the Dark Knight is a great example in the history of superhero-based cinema, let's call it. And mm-hmm. so in terms of where that there could be that leap, and I always expected this for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And it, it's on tape across various podcasts, which may or may not be available to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. So I've, I and this is not to say I called it, a lot of people called this, a lot of people expected this because you had you had that momentum of- I underestimated uh, Of everybody personally. who seemed to see the first movie liked it. They just didn't go watch it in theaters because- historically, Marvel and DC-based animation didn't really do great at the box office. But the examples, I mean, the the biggest example that you would look at before Into the Spider-Verse is Batman Mask of the Phantasm all the way back in 1993. Holy crap, this is the, we are coming up on the 30th anniversary of Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Wow. Um, Anyway, aside from me feeling old. So, when you that was again a lot of audience didn't necessarily show up for that because well the superhero genre at that point wasn't what it has gone on to become although batman movies were very popular at the time but why didn't people go see batman mask of the phantasm well at that point in time batman the animated series with a lot of the same character designs and everything like that was free monday through friday and saturday mornings on the fox network so at least in the u.s so a lot of people didn't decided they didn't want to pay money to go watch a movie version of the free TV show. So we didn't really get ground up original superhero stories in animation. Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse, not just because of it being an original, not an extension of a TV show for as extraordinary as that movie was. That's why people loved it. But there was, but part of the history of Marvel and DC based uh, animation, I think maybe hindered some of the initial response to that movie, at least in terms of the box office. But the most important thing, the people who saw it loved it, and the people who did not watch it in theaters, all of a sudden they're hearing, wait a minute, 
A Spider-Man animated movie just won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, and now that movie is going to be on Netflix, which remains uh, the most popular streaming platform that's out there. So yeah, a lot of people spent a year and a half streaming that movie or however long it was on Netflix. I don't think it's still there right now, at least not in the US. But a lot mm -hmm. of people spent that time watching that movie and catching up. And be and if you're Sony, you could bet, it was a pretty safe bet that the people who were watching that movie at home were going to love it, just like the people who did show up in, in theaters. They, they loved it. So the people seeing it for the first time at home, they would love it as well. And all of them would want to be there to go watch Across the Spider-Verse once it landed in theaters. And that's what we saw happen during this, uh, during this opening weekend. And that's, it's not always a meritocracy. The system doesn't always work the way that we would like it to. But let's go ahead and celebrate and appreciate this moment where it totally worked the way that it, were, that it yeah. was supposed to. Spider-Man of the Spider-Verse was actually underappreciated at the box office, not in terms of the critical or audience response when they actually saw it, but there was hesitation by some to go watch the movie in theaters. It eliminated that hesitation for the second go-round. And of course, it's going to be long gone when we get a chance to go see Beyond the Spider-Verse next year. So it, the, the huge leap that this movie made, from the that this franchise made from the first film to the second film at the box office, it is a testament to nothing other than the quality of that first film backed by the quality of the second film. If people had heard, well, the second, they couldn't recapture the magic. It was, a, it was, they were a one hit mm -hmm. wonder and the second one stunk. That would have hurt the box office. But all people heard in the reaction, the early reactions to Across the, to Across the Spider-Verse backed up what they already figured they should be able to expect based on the quality of the first film. So all of that is the system working the way that most of us would, would like to think it should as often as it can. And, you know, the, the thing is with with this, too, is that you also have to realize that this won Best Animated Film yeah. at, at the Oscars. So it had, I mean, it really had a hard, I mean, to live up to that those expectations. I mean, people don't, 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 you know, forget that. Like, that's a big deal. You want well, the and best. I would say, and this one, Across the Spider-Verse, already feels like an overwhelming favorite and basically a yep. lock to win it. Yeah. The debate now is not going to be whether or not Across the Spider-Verse should win Best Animated Feature. That's going to happen. The Ooh. debate now is whether mm. or not Across the Spider-Verse will get a nomination for Best Picture. And um, I, and I know we have a lot more of the movie to talk about, but uh, I'll go ahead and address this as a, as a quick aside. Ooh. This is going to, if it doesn't get nominated, then yeah, this will be the next superhero movie that I would say was genuinely snubbed and I would be genuinely upset about for not being nominated for Best Picture. As, as upset as I get about those things, the, these days I, I tend to not get upset because I... I don't have much faith in the Academy's ability to recognize superhero-based mm. cinema and superhero-based stories. They're not great at it historically. They're, they tend to be dismissive of it more often than not. Not all the time, but still most of the time. So I, I would say I'll, I'll pump the brakes a, a little bit on saying it's... I, I certainly wouldn't say it's a lock that Across the Spider-Verse gets nominated for Best Picture, but I not just in Best Animated Feature, but just Best Picture overall... I would say, though, that it probably has as good of a shot as a superhero-based movie can have. Whether or not that actually ultimately results in, in a nomination, I don't know. I just have a hard time 
I have a hard time envisioning a better movie that I will see this year. I'll remain open to that possibility, but will I see 10 movies better than Across the Spider-Verse this year? Probably not, because I, I don't usually see 10 movies that I think are this good every year. Damn. You, man, now, I'll, really quickly, I was going to say this. This should be nominated for Best Picture. It should uh, be. It, it should be, 100%. And, and listen, I'm not saying that, I didn't say that about Into the Spider-Verse, I mean, the first I, one. I, I reserve the right to change my mind if I happen to see 10 better movies this year. It's just, I... <laughs> I, I don't I've never had a top ten where everything was as good as across the spider yeah. as good or better than across the spider verse. It just Not hasn't happened in, in all my years watching movies. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, um let's go ahead and let's let's dive into this. So we we've talked about the animation style, we've talked about the visual feast that uh, that is this movie. Uh we started talking a little bit about how it opens with Gwen's story. And, and I love this because this is also part of it, right? Like, I, I think mm. it backs up the message of the first movie in that, you know, anyone can wear the mask. And, and that's a huge integral message as part of Miles Morales' story. But also, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that anybody can just go dress as Spider-Man and look like Spider-Man. It also means that for the audience, like, we can connect with, we can invest in any of these spider people from any of these any of these timelines any of these universes within the spider-verse and so i think opening this movie with uh with gwen and getting into her world i think that's really important because it shows us i mean for a, a movie that talks a lot about the canon and all the things that are kind of the same or similar within each spider within each section of the spider verse it's also important to show how everybody's story is still unique in their own way and we know miles's story or we know certainly know a lot of his background his family and everything that we got in the first movie and of course more of in this movie but i think opening with gwen and her relationship with her dad and that dynamic where we're so used to captain stacy and spider-man from a certain perspective but it's very different when uh, when Captain Stacy is hunting down his own daughter as opposed to um, a, a spider person that he doesn't know is Peter Parker or whatever the case may be. So it adds a completely different layer to that drama. Obviously, it adds a lot more drama uh, in that uh, in that dynamic. And, and I thought that was all handled very, very well. And, and I think it's, it's just such a different perspective. There is the loss for Gwen. Of course, we know what happened with her Peter Parker, as we see unfolding in this movie, where she had to battle her Peter Parker, and he died in that battle, a Peter Parker who became the lizard. But more than that, it's what that meant for her relationship with her father, which even as, as complicated as that got, I, I think the, the speed at which Gwen hugged her father the couple of times that we saw that, uh, couldn't help but be moved by that because there was the longing for that love and that relationship, and that was there from her dad the whole time. He had a moment where he wasn't at his best when he first found out, um, but we saw the way that that he responded uh, later on when when he had a chance to actually uh, actually reflect, and we saw him doing the right thing. So, all of those elements to Gwen's story really added to it. But it's not just here's an extra backstory for another character. It still informs. The main plot. It's still Absolutely. all part of. It's it's still guiding. It's still shaping her relationship with Miles and adding to the empathy that she has for him, which mm -hmm. is essential to the decisions that she makes throughout the film, including all the way up until the very end. 
Yeah, I, I think that's you bring up a great point. And the one thing I've seen people complain a little bit about how long it is. I don't see that problem, but I can see a little bit. But I had no me, idea how long this movie was until I looked at my phone when I left same. the theater. Yeah, I've I've, heard, I've seen some, I've seen some legitimate. I mean, listen, I it definitely goes out of its way to, to over explain, not over explain, but it goes out of its way to really drive home some points and. But at the same time, those points are so visually pleasing and they add the layers that you need to go through. And that's the one thing I would say about Gwen's, I think, whole dynamic in this film is that it's very layered. And I love that. And I love the I I love the complexity of the character, to be honest, because there's this there's this there's this sense of like you know even her dad. I love the line where he says, are you too punk rock to give your dad? Are you too punk rock to give your dad a hug? Nope. And and I I love that she does that, but she is such an individual at the same time mm-hmm. that she has this this really weird pull of of being a very good natured person, but yet also I wouldn't say selfish, but a very independent where it's like I'm gonna do what I want. The whole punk as you know what attitude, and that's there. And you know this is this is oh, no yeah. BS. Speaking I, of animation, I mean her her drumming was just <laughs> so dude, good. The sound, the, and sound, the sound was yep. incredible. And as a musician, I'm listening. I turned to Chris when I was watching. I'm like, this sounds amazing. Like I, yeah. as, I, I love. As I, 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 I don't know. Again, I I lost all sense of time and space as I was watching this movie. I, I won't lie, but like there was a part of me that was just like. This is already the greatest thing ever. Like this, yes. this looks beautiful. This sounds amazing. It was just a, an incredible start to the movie. Yeah, and I and I think that when you one of the things I love about this character is that this is no BS here. I actually kind of identify with with Gwen because I feel that that's kind of my personality because I do have I this is whatever this is why i think i am uh i have a very punk rock nature to myself i don't care but i also have this love in my i do feel like a loving person too and i like to give tell people i love them and, and give them hugs and like and things like that even though like i may like sometimes act like i don't give an f but you know i do care about people too there's there's a weird pull there between gwen and who she is and, and who she like also is you know who she these two different things about her that definitely are kind of oxymorons. And you see that pull her throughout the entire film. And it's very, and again, I go back to that layered idea where she has this layer of like toughness and do what I want. I'm going to be independent. And then which is emphasized with, with Hobie later on, right? With spider punk. And mm-hmm. again, another punk rock character. And, and I love that they're connected and that he helps her. And so there is a sense of like independence and in her finding it of where the balance of, being that punk as you know what, but you are also that loving character and be able to tell authority, you know, no, this is wrong. And I just love that, that, that dynamic that we get in this movie and it's very unique. And I, I thought they did a beautiful job of, because I don't think that's necessarily just a, an angsty teenage thing. I think as, as I, I've said before, I definitely identify with that as a 41 year old man. Like I definitely identify with what she kind of goes through. Cause that's what I went through a little bit at her age as well, to be quite honest. And it was really cool to see that on screen and to see it develop throughout the entire film. And, and Gwen was like, I gotta tell you, when, when this, this their version of of Spider Gwen, Ghost Spider, whatever, is so amazing. It's so good. I mean, it's it, and, and obviously Miles. We'll get to that in, sec- in a second, but I just want to say that her character really impresses me. Whenever I watch the first movie, and after watching this a second time, I'm like, this is maybe 
I, yeah, this character may be one of the better Marvel characters. Maybe I'm not, again, her comic is different. I don't, I can't get into the comic as much. I don't know why, but the films, the, the characterization, Haley's voice, I don't know what it is, but it just, it moves me. And I can't, I just, it's crazy. And I just identify, I mean, I identify with it more than the comic itself. But yeah, this, I thought this version of this interpretation and present, presentation of the character and the execution and the writing and the acting animation, it was just, it was pitch perfect. I think with her, this is obvious, but I'm just going to say it right now. Gwen Stacy, if she doesn't work just a little bit, like the movie doesn't fall apart, but it's just not as good. You have to have Gwen and Miles be 100 percent 10 out of 10 in order for this to be a masterpiece great film and you know what she's a 10 out of 10 without a doubt yeah she is uh she's outstanding and an incredible uh credible performance by Haley steinfeld i mean kate bishop in live action and now uh spider gwen or yeah. ghost spider or i think spider woman as they call her gwen stacy yeah uh in this one and yeah just i mean and all the performances are incredible i mean obviously shameek moore as as miles Everybody is just so good throughout this uh, throughout this entire thing. I mean, Karan Sony, who's uh, Dopinder from the Deadpool movies, being uh, Paviter Prabhakar, um, the he Spider-Man was incredible. Idiot, like just so incredible. good. Incredible. And I mean, obviously, yeah, Oscar Isaac. You know, Daniel Kaluuya as Hobie Brown, which we'll get to. Like everything about this just worked, and and I think it really really towed that line so well of, of making sure that everybody kind of had their own identity, their own point of view, and yet also still being very much in, in service of the story. And, and, and I think it was, it was all critical to setting up miles and just catching up with miles before we just get into the, the absolute madness of, uh, of this movie, everything that was working so well about, Miles in the first movie continued to work so well in this one, except now you're adding these different layers to it, right? Because the first movie is all Miles becoming Spider-Man. But as we've as we've seen in Spider-Man stories, many of which were referenced in this movie are are included into and crossing over with this movie. And, and even the ones that are that do not. I mean, what we're very accustomed to in Spider-Man storytelling is that as difficult as it is to become Spider-Man, being Spider-Man is even harder. And living as Spider-Man is even harder because what happens is, well, not everybody gets to know that you're Spider-Man. And that struggling with the secret identity is classic Spider-Man. And it is as true for Miles as it is for Gwen or any Peter Parker. It doesn't really matter. That part of it remains an incredible challenge, especially when you're Miles and you're you're going through everything that he's going through of being Spider-Man. He's still very much in high school, but he's a sophomore in high school who's now got to start prepping to make sure he's getting into the right college and all the different things that are the the high stakes for a kid and, and all of that stuff in, in high school. All of that is part of his world, but complicating matters is that he just can't be honest with his parents. And I think that, that part of what's always made that work for Spider-Man and ring so true is... Whether or not you can be, you know, whether what's real in terms of what you can or can't feel you can or can't share with your parents when you're at that age as a kid, you don't always feel like you get to be, you may not, maybe, you know, kids are, everyone's different in their relationship, but their parents may differ. But it's a very common thing for any number of reasons for kids to feel like they can't necessarily 
reveal all of their true selves to their parents because their parents might be disappointed or for whatever reason they feel like they can't do that. Here we are in the heightened reality of the Spider-Verse, so can't reveal to your parents that you are Spider-Man. But the stresses of being Spider-Man and the stresses of not being able to be feel like you can be your full self in, in front of the people you love the most, care about the most, who love you the most, who care about you the most, obviously that creates a lot of stress and a lot of tension. And we, we see that portrayed very well I think in this movie with the, you know, obviously the, just the, the awkwardness of the meeting with the counselor and catching up with his parents, but then also I think with the family party and everything. And, and look, Miles is late to family events, including his dad his own dad's party for his dad, celebrating his dad's promotion to becoming a police captain. All of these things where if his parents knew why he was doing it, maybe they would react in terms of, I don't want you to be Spider-Man because uh, I don't want you putting yourself in danger but they're pretty good excuses. But when you don't get to share it, you just look like a kid who's pulling away from his parents. And that's obviously not what Miles means to do. But I just love that despite all of that tension and despite all of the arguments that we still get to see a family that is there for each other. And when Rio, Miles's mother, actually gets to have, and this is a moment that they played in the trailer, but being able to see the entirety of that scene it was uh, just so in- incredibly moving, and, and one of my favorite parts of, of this entire movie, the the whole speech she gives Miles about taking care of that little boy, the boy that the little boy that she used to take care of, making sure he never feels like he doesn't, but be- he never accepts it if anybody tries to tell him that he doesn't belong somewhere, and, and oh how right she is to give him that message uh, based on what Miles is, is certainly about to go through in this movie. But all of that and that unconditional love and acceptance from his parents, especially as we see through uh, through his mom, despite all that's happening. And look, Miles, at this point in the in the story, hasn't come hasn't uh, come forward and, and shared his truth about being Spider-Man. And there's still stuff they and I, I love that his mom can even recognize like you're still hiding something from me and there's still something that you have to tell me and you can do that on your own time. In the meantime, it's very clear, it's very important to me that it be very clear that we, that I love you, your dad loves you, we all still love you, that that's all part of it. And I I love that, that I I love all that love that is shown, that is showcased in this movie. And it doesn't come across in a way that feels overly sappy. It feels very genuine, very real. Again, it's the type of stuff that could easily just be eye-rolling, like Hallmark cringe, and it's not. It it really cuts to uh, the heart of those relationships between those characters, and there is something that is universal that uh, that applies to, that I think we can all tap into and, and all relate to, or many of us can tap into and relate to, while still at the same time being very specific to Miles and, and his parents. And, and all of that is just, it's such a strong emotional core to to give this character that is absolutely essential and, and invaluable to what happens throughout the rest of the movie. So I, I don't know, you can, sure, we can complain about the runtime, but I would say for as many things as this movie does, it's actually very efficient and take in, yeah, and you I need agree. to have these moments. Like these moments have to be there in order for us to really be uh, as invested as as we would want to be as an audience in in Miles and his family and his story, um, and also as invested as as we should be if these moments are are really going to have any meaning to us. I'm going to echo everything everything you say. I'm going to save most of what I want to talk about with Miles 
towards i think i want to say i want to be super long today everybody so i'm just gonna save a lot what i have for miles but i think sean you're spot on all the way about miles with this and their relationship um as a family and that's one of the i think the more unique really cool aspects of miles actually for spider-man is that he's actually has you know two he's not orphaned right i think that's really cool is that he's not orphaned um and that he's one of those characters that he has to deal with the fact that he has to hide his identity from both his parents that are very loving and love him and it's hard and it, and that's the one aspect of the character from the comic books and this film has done in both films have done a phenomenal job of, of portraying that 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 uh hardship that you have where you really do care about your family your you know your parents are good people and you have to hide them from them. And it's not just, it's, it's, it's easier in my opinion to one person, right? In, in my opinion for two people, that is, it is hard to hide anything when you're that close together. Right. So I think they've done a great job of showing, I think the the tightness and also like the dynamics and how unique that is for this version, this, this Spider-Man. And uh, yeah, like I said, I have I have a lot to talk about Miles here in a little bit when we get to more of the meat of uh, his story, you could say, or the end in his uh, his story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's um, let's quickly just divert a little ways to sure. uh, another character that we meet during this sequence, kind of catching up to the present day of Miles, which is our antagonist for this film. And hey, as it turns out, the next one, one of the antagonists that'll still be mm-hmm. around for the next one. And that is Spot, voiced by Jason Schwartzman. And anytime we get these moments where a ridiculous, and I say ridiculous lovingly, um, ridiculous, more obscure, you could argue throwaway villain, because uh, not like uh, the character Spot has been, had just an incredibly long run or had a, a massive signature story that is considered, you know, a milestone achievement within the stories and within the pages of Marvel comics or anything like that. Um, although did have an appearance in like the nineties Spider-Man animated series, but this character is something I love when this happens. I, I love when we get an opportunity to see a character who it would have been very easy for any screenwriter, director, studio executive, whoever, uh, producer, to just be completely dismissive of, of no way we're building a movie in any way, shape, or form, or any part of a movie. Uh, no way are we building that around spot. Um, and if we do, that has to be its own kind of throwaway sequence. There's no way this guy gets to be, I mean, you could certainly argue he turns out to not necessarily be the lead antagonist in the movie, but he's still pretty present uh, as an antagonist and very relevant in this movie as an antagonist. And that's just not, I I never would have thought that the day would come. And I know we knew before the movie was coming out, Spot's an antagonist, but even I was like, at what point is this going to shift to uh, Miguel O'Hara and not focus as much on Spot, but Spot remained present throughout this story. And obviously, Jason Schwartzman, great job doing the voice. It's absolutely hilarious. But I, I think this movie did a good job of illustrating what can happen when it, I, I found it to be very timely in, in this movie, especially after, I don't know, Quantum Mania and a movie that didn't necessarily get. Um, as great of a certainly didn't get as great of a reception uh, in terms of audience ratings, critical consensus, or box office or anything. 
as across the Spider-Verse. And I don't say that to knock Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but it just goes back to one of the topics we we started to discuss there, which is the whole idea of the, the crazier you get, the more outlandish, obscure that you get, that's where you can run the risk of not necessarily being, a, of really uh, inhibiting your ability to connect with the audience. And Spot is a very timely reminder that that's not true. And it's never been true. And it never has to be true. In that um, the audience can accept and connect with anything if you give them a reason to. If the story is good enough, if the character is portrayed strongly enough, if you actually make that character into a person and that person is part of a really well te- uh, a really well-told story overall, it really doesn't matter how crazy or wild the comic book origins are. Audiences have the... And also how just nutty this movie gets overall. Spot is just one example of many throughout this entire movie that just shows that you can keep getting bigger and crazier and, and bringing in more elements, an entire Spider-Verse that spans decades of, of Spider-Man stories across various mediums and genres and all these different types of things. It can all be fair game, and it can all be not just accepted, but really loved by the audience. Um, you can do that when you do it right, when you do it well, as we see here. And I think Spot is a a, a really charming uh, example of that in his own villainous way. And you know, first of all, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that the Spot uh, is a, a great example of using, uh, having fun with things and how, again, you're shifting the tone very easily with him. And there, again, you look, everyone knows who listens to the show. I love themes. I love the theme of not underestimating, um, and taking people seriously, even though you feel like they, they aren't, they shouldn't be taken seriously because things can get escalated pretty fast. And I think there's a, it's a very on the nose, uh, you know, uh, tale but i think it's 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 wise for the audiences that are seeing this which is mostly a younger audience right um and when i say younger audience i'm not mean just mean like little kids i mean like you know young adults <laughs> i mean maybe for like you know early you know mid-20s or people because this is the thing you know the spot represents that idea that people who are broken and are down like you you can't just assume that they're just going to be always be broken down and you know I know it, it just emphasized the idea of like you can't just assume the worst and that, that you can just you know topple over anything and, yeah. and but you know, can't th- be dismissive of anyone either exactly right exactly. like that's mm-hmm. a, a huge part of the talk track for Spot is villain of the week um, which he was on a Spider-Man animated series one time that happened so like yeah. it's we've had that and that's pretty much what he was in in comic books as well but. I think that just goes to show, I mean, the messaging within that, again, of of not being dismissive of actually seeing a person for Mm -hmm. good or for bad. And I I think, you know, nobody really wants to see Spot or even looks at Spot as as any sort of potential threat. And then he ends up being a a massive threat with huge implications that go across the Spider-Verse. And so I I like that there was that part of it. And even you saw that the way that affected the character, like... Spot really had, when we meet him at the start of this movie, he has no grand design. He actually does not care. He doesn't even know that he has the ability to really tap into the multiverse or anything 
like that. He's literally just trying to rob a convenience store because he, as he said, he can't make money now. He can't get a regular job. So he has, he's, he literally spells it out. I've turned to a life of crime. So I think when we see, you know, what his goals are, they are very, very small and they actually get bigger. Sure. In part because of what he discovers of what he can accomplish, but where does the motivation come from? The motivation comes from how he's treated and how, what happens to him and the way he's treated and what's said about him, how all of that makes him feel about himself and how he wants to rectify that and the vengeance that he wants to seek, which none of this, of course, excuses him from any responsibility. It doesn't like not, he's still entirely responsible for all of his actions and the, the things he decides to do throughout this movie and likely into, uh, in the next one. But it, it just goes, I, I still, think there's value in in that messaging there of, of I mean, I, and I know it just sounds corny and cheeseball to, hey, you know, treat people nicely, even if they're knocking over an ATM machine. Um, it's just that it's really more of questioning the, the dismissive attitude, um, yeah. really, and that everybody, you know, everybody is worth being seen, again, for, for good or for bad. Yeah, that's a great point. That's exactly what it is. And and Miles doesn't do that. And he's and there's there's consequences. And and also just kind of go on the spot again, that he always has been kind of a ridiculous character. But but in the last I'd say right after Brand New Day, um, they dissolved the Spider-Man marriage, um, the spot kind of got brought in and they did kind of, I think I, I don't I can't remember before that. But I'm pretty sure the spot was brought in again and, and kind of they brought in that darker kind of like darker uh, kind of idea that he's going to interdimensional. But I'd never seen it like this, if I, if I can remember correctly. So they definitely go a little harder, which I, I loved. And it totally made sense. It's one, it's, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, why didn't they do this before? If they haven't, already, I'm pretty sure they haven't. But um, but there's definitely elements there. But like they didn't go that hard, which is really crazy and supernatural and, and nutty. So but yeah, spot was way better when I was, and I was genuinely surprised of what they did with him because I thought he was going to be a joke and they're kind of like almost like a gateway kind mm-hmm. of character. But then when they they show it there, I went, oh, okay. So, um, but yeah, there's lots of, uh, lot, I, I'm, I can't wait to see what happens with him in the next movie too. Yeah, I, I think, and then I think obviously there's, you know, a whole other antagonist that we meet at the very end of the movie. So I don't know, how much? Well, I, are they? I, yeah, I, I think we're going to see a whole lot of spot in uh, in Beyond the Spider Verse, but uh, we'll, we'll see exactly how much. But again, I, I like the way that this character is introduced and the way that the threat uh, escalates and how and why that happens. I, I think is all really great storytelling, as just tends to be the case throughout the entirety of this movie. But. So when they do actually, uh, when Spider-Woman and and Miles, when he eventually follows Gwen into the Spider-Verse, even though he doesn't have all the same little magical wristbands and stuff that she has in order to be able to handle all of that, um, he does end up following her at one point after they have uh, a reunion in Miles' universe, which I also thought was was really great in seeing these two characters connect. But that's also part of being a, a Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Spider-Person, Spider-Ham, Spider-Whatever, um, that uh, secrets just kind of come with it. And Gwen is not telling Miles everything. Uh, there's something that she's holding back. There's something that, we already, uh, that we've already was hinted at as far as being um, held back when Gwen earlier in the movie 
initially met Miguel O'Hara and Jessica Drew. Uh, Miguel, of course, voiced by Oscar Isaac, Issa Rae as Jessica Drew, as the Spider-Woman of, uh, of her universe. Obviously, Miguel O'Hara being Spider-Man 2099. And so when we have, um, when we see these these characters and and them kind of inviting Gwen uh, initially with some initially with some reluctance, um, inviting Gwen to be part of uh, this elite task force that is preserving the canon. And oh boy, do I want to talk about the mission oh, to preserve I, the canon? Yeah, um, but just to get through our same. mechanics of of what's happening here. So when uh, after Miles and Gwen catch up. A visit at the family party, meeting the parents, as awkward as all of that stuff may be. When we actually get to the meetup with uh, Paviter uh, Prabhakar, then we get to uh, then we get to an event where Miles actually saves Captain Singh at a time when Captain Singh was not supposed to be saved. As a result of, of course, confrontations with Spot and all of this stuff, and that introduces us to our problem where we get to see Miles go into this Spider-Verse hub to be able to meet all these different Spider-People and be introduced to Miguel and learn that this task force is tasked with preserving the canon. And the canon are the events that just have to happen in a Spider-Person's life. And we'll stop short of the next big revelation from Miguel O'Hare that we get a little bit later on in terms of how Miles never fit into that. Um, we'll, we'll get into that part of it, but just this initial phase of preserving the canon. I mean, as soon as Miguel O'Hara says that in the initial adventure, in the battle, the team-up battle of, of Miguel and Gwen and Jessica fighting the vulture that we see in the beginning of the movie, when he's talking about, you know, canon-breaking, canon-altering events and all of these different things, I'm like, I... I love that the word canon is an essential plot point and part of this uh, within this story. This is like meta commentary, but very well yep. crafted, um, you know, crafted beautifully, artfully, as I said earlier in the show, with the way that this was done. This whole mission and what it's kind of setting up of, of treating the canon as precious as a thing that cannot be broken. Now, for Miguel O'Hara's perspective and, and to, you know, not necessarily advocate for him, but to explain his perspective a little bit as he's saying, if these things don't happen, the entire multiverse collapses and, and all of this stuff. So that's why they do this. And it gets us into, you know, that old trading lives debate uh, that we've had many, many times in the MCU, but that idea of whether or not uh, it's and of course it's it's classic for superheroes and obviously it's an essential part of Spider-Man in that uh, the idea of having the ability to intervene, having the ability to save someone, but you don't do that because the canon says you can't. The canon says you must not because there are certain things that must happen for every single person to um, be a spider person, to be a Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, whatever, uh, Spider-T-Rex, Spider-Cowboy, whatever it is, that these are certain things that just have to be there. They must be part of your story for you to belong, which totally sets up what Miguel is going to say about Miles 
a little bit later on in the, in the film, but just this initial introduction to the concept of the canon and what the mission is for all of these characters, but with Miguel being the leader of this charge and this being something that he's been having to work on basically because of uh, Miles and all of his adventures in the the very first movie and how this has become his mission. I was totally on board with this and I was just, I was hooked and just could not wait to see where it was going to go as the story unfolded because there's no question that you're getting into a commentary on fandom mm-hmm. and our relationship with these stories because where who says the word canon more than anybody else? Fans. We are the ones who talk about canon and how important it is or isn't or the debates that we have most of the time when we're talking about it. Usually it's being talked about, it's stressing the importance of it for whatever reason. And that's not to say, hey, canon never matters and, and nothing matters and we shouldn't be as invested in these things, and which I don't think is actually the point that's being made in this movie either. But just inviting that conversation into a movie that is celebrating the canon for across, literally across the Spider-Verse of every way that we have seen and, and interacted with this character through decades. I, I just, I couldn't love a plot point anymore than, than I love this whole, this whole thing with the canon. Like this was, this was tailor-made in, in many ways for fans, but at the same time, because look, Way, so many people who are watching this movie, most of the people who are watching this movie have not heard the word canon in that context and don't discuss it in that context. It doesn't matter to them. So to them, it's just canon just means essential element of, of the timeline so the Spider-Verse doesn't collapse. And that's all it has to mean. So it still works on that level if you're not part of those discussions, if you're not having those debates, if you just don't care or aren't invested in any of that, in which case I'd say you might actually be better off and be happier. I don't know. But it's just the way that this movie can work and the way the stakes can work on those dueling levels uh, with this whole idea of preserving and and protecting the canon. As I said, I I could not love that anymore. That is... That is true art within the within the storytelling. Mm-hmm. That is craftsmanship in the storytelling. Well, it's it, it really is serving so many different purposes because I think one of the things about the the meta commentary that they're they're talking about, obviously, is that there is both sides have merit to an extent. And I think that there is something to where Miguel you know, because I, because honestly, if you look about the perspective of what Miguel is and what that represents is a, is a P, fans holding on to the original canon, obviously, right? That's Captain Obvious. What's, what I think is interesting is I don't think Miguel is this wholeheartedly this awful, like he's, he's just, you know, whatever. There is, he's just, he's seen the ramifications, you know, he's been burned by these canon events, if you will, right? And there, but the, the beauty of it is that they're obviously set, they're obviously setting up the fact that these canon ne- events aren't necessarily all bad and they aren't necessarily what he is interpreting them as and that of, of itself is a giant meta commentary of fandoms and any fandom of medium or whatever right and that it really puts you in perspective of like being open and and to not just be narrow minded and that's what's so crazy about across spider verse is that the first film's about 
anyone, right? It's acceptance. It's about anyone can be the Spider-Man or or whatever. Or in a, that in essence is any you can be in anything you want to be. The next thing is now not being narrow-minded and accepting things that you necessarily may not be open to. And that openness is just it's it's a really crazy of of these films are basically building people to be better. And that is something that I think that gets lost in art and a lot of films. And, and this is not just franchise films, people. This is this is film and art in general. A lot of times things are meant to be just, you know, what what they are, whether it be a superhero film with buildings flying over the place and, and there's no regard for people and people complain about it. Or there's, you know, a movie where it's super artsy and, you know, the, the, the 100,000 people who watch it are like, you know, this film is magnificent, but, you know, because it really just dwells on how, the, you know, this is imperfect or whatever. And very, 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 it doesn't feel as often in any medium, it feels like just art in general is not building people up. And, and I mean, or just trying to make us better people. It's more of an expression. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I find it beautiful. And I mean that with all my heart. It's beautiful that, the, in my opinion, the Spider-Verse films are building people. And it's not just generated at one person or what kind of people. It's everybody. It's universal. And Spider-Verse has tapped into this. And using Spider-Man, in my opinion, the greatest superhero that ever walked this earth, using him as a, a springboard and a microphone, if you will, to tell people you can be who you are or, you know, you can be whatever you want to be and also tell people, don't be narrow minded, come into this, be open to people because you're seeing right now the ramifications of a narrow minded view visually it's visually and like from a story standpoint and the themes there and what miles is going through. It's, it's so beautiful. And I, I and again, and I got a lot to talk about that with us at one point, but I'll just say, wrap it up with this is that, I, I sh it sh this whole cannon breaking event, I think, is is like you said, artfully done. What they've done with it, it works on so many different levels. But I do think that the message of it is so brilliant that I hope people don't overlook that because it's not dismissive. I don't think it's trying. In my opinion, I don't think it's being dismissive. I think it's only trying to explain itself to people and saying, "Listen, you need to be open." Here's why: because I don't think Miguel's is out outwardly a bad, evil dude. No, and, well, look, because it's not just him; he is the leader of yeah, this. True, but let's also look at Gwen is on his team initially, right? Gwen has been working with him for some time in between when we see her first meet him versus you know some time has passed between that meeting and her joining the team, and then she catches up with Miles. And then does the uh, the Jessica Drew Spider-Woman that we meet, does she seem like a bad person? No, she doesn't. And in fact, a lot of other Spider-People that we have loved, as I said, 60 Spider-Man is there on Miguel's team. Spectacular Spider-Man is there on Miguel's team. And everybody has been part of upholding this whole system and preventing these canon breaking events and maybe it's it hasn't come we haven't come up to this sort of moment where it's letting a person die but that kind of actually does happen and they they do in theory have the ability to prevent those things and and, and all of that so I, I think that when we're looking at this dynamic like it's not it's not necessarily a good versus a good versus evil sort of thing like this is a, a philosophical debate that that they are having and that is it 
think about the stakes from their perspective. They don't have like the the nerd perspective that we have of like the, where the canon is precious just because we say it is because it means something to us. From their perspective, obviously, it's the canon is life or death. It's if we don't let people who normally were within the course of their timeline supposed to die at this point in time anyway, if we don't allow those things to happen, then everyone is lost. We we risk losing trillions, depending on how many timelines would ultimately be impacted. So with that in mind, also, like that's where when we talk about the message to the fans that's conveyed in, in this story, or the, just the exploration of the debate, just taking a step back and looking at some of the things that maybe fans concern themselves with in their conversations uh, about these things is that, you know, the, the stakes aren't nearly the same. Like we don't have to, it's not about letting any actual person die or anything like that. And it's not an entire timeline that's going to collapse. None of it is really that serious. But, you know, I think the message for the fans, and I, I think you you hit on it perfectly, is the idea of it's just really more of being open to it. So if we're open to and, and, and accept this idea as we should, that, you know, at, at the core of the story, or one of those things at the core of the story of Spider-Man is that notion that anyone can wear the mask. Well, when that, if we accept that as true and, and we take that as something that we love about Spider-Man, then we think about what that really entails. If anyone can wear the mask, then that also means everyone's story can also be different. You know, anyone who wears that mask can have their own story that's very different. That isn't necessarily something we need to be super precious about when it comes to the canon. And all of these different stories, by the way, across these different mediums, I mean, yes, as they talk, as they explain, there are similar events that always kind of happen within these character stories. But even that doesn't, just because that's the way it's always been, doesn't mean that's the way it always has to be. And I, I think in the same way that we're looking at and loving and praising this movie as this huge leap forward in many ways, and it gets to be a leap forward for animation, it gets to be a leap forward for Spider-Man, for the entire mythology around Spider-Man, and even bigger than that, superheroes and all of those different things that we get to expand our ideas around these things. It's really more about that openness, the being open to the, uh, and not be, we can love the canon, we can respect the canon for what it is, but we can't treat it, or we shouldn't, we're better off not treating it as this absolute, that this must be the way that it always needs to be in order to qualify as this thing. Because who are we, in the same way that, you know, who is Miguel to talk about whether or not Miles should be Spider-Man or deserves to be Spider-Man or any of those things, which we will definitely get into. And we talk about that idea of not letting anybody tell you uh, that you don't belong. Like in the same way as who is Miguel to say that to Miles, where who are we to really say and, and appoint ourselves as the arbiters of this is what counts for Spider-Man or this is what doesn't. This is what has to be part of someone's story versus this is what doesn't. Uh, that there should be an, an openness and, and the willingness to accept and, and empathize. And so I think these are very, very broad ideas in terms of how we interpret stories and, and how we respond to stories and, and what we set as rules for stories, um, that we don't necessarily have to be so rigid about those types of things. So I do think there's certainly some of that messaging 
and uh, and, and commentary for fans. And I, and again, I I don't think it's put in necessarily this overly like judgmental sort of way because look. The reason they use this word is because we've talked, we've had these conversations. Fans have been having these sorts of conversations for decades about their various things, whether it's Marvel canon, Star Wars canon, Star Trek canon, name your canon uh, that you care about, that you talk about, that you debate with your friends. And I think that's really where it is, though, is let it be part of the fun. Let it be part of the enjoyment in that all of these things in, across the Spider-Verse are part of the canon and we celebrate them and we enjoy them and we we are happy to see their inclusion within all of this. Let it be something that we celebrate, but not let it be something that we uh, that we cling to at the expense of new possibilities and new stories for new characters and to let their stories and who they are be valid, which, of course, you can take a lot of those same principles and find ways to apply them to non-fictional characters in relationships. So there's so much value, I think, in the messages that are being conveyed in this whole canon-breaking event sort of plotline that goes through all of this. And that's with, And that's just in the general, broad strokes sense of it, but then when we get into, and I know like in terms of the order of the movie, I know obviously in this sequence, this is where we see a live action Donald Glover. This is where we see that the uh, Donald Glover, of course, who played Aaron Davis, who is the Prowler, he's in a Prowler costume in this. Is that the same Aaron Davis who talked about his nephew in Spider-Man Homecoming? Or is it another one? We don't know. Uh, but obviously there's MCU implications there potentially. But even if we want to say that's a different Aaron Davis and not connected to Spider-Man Homecoming, well, we do see in kind of the highlight reel of these canon events that just have to happen. We see Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. We see Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. So if they are part of the Spider-Verse and they're also part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe now or part of the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse, they're all part of the same multiverse in some way, shape, or form, which obviously has some pretty massive implications. But I'm just acknowledging that right now so I can punt it to later in the show. Because, Paula, while we're on the subject of the canon, while we're on the subject of mm. the rules and what gets to happen and all of these different things, I, I do want to talk about Miles and I want to talk about what Miguel O'Hara, as he gets uh, frustrated and uh, totally impatient with Miles, he goes, he, he really gets to it. And the, the whole idea that Miles was never supposed to be Spider-Man, the Spider-Man who bit him in, into the Spider-Verse was from another dimension, uh, totally not from, uh, so it was never supposed to happen. Miles was never, ever, ever intended to be Spider-Man. And in fact, it's because Miles was bitten that the Peter Parker in Miles's home dimension actually died. Were it not for that event, then that Peter Parker ends up uh, remain stays alive and remains Spider-Man. So Miles was never supposed to be, according to Miguel O'Hara, was never supposed to be part of the story. He kind of is, in his own way, the original canon-breaking event. And I just... Obviously, I don't love what Miguel is saying to Miles because it's really horrible for someone to yell at you and to, for an adult to yell at this kid telling him he doesn't belong. But I still love it because of how much respect and appreciation I have for the, the value of that because it's working on, again, multiple levels. It's very specific to Miles in this story and what his idea and his challenges with feeling like he belongs. And obviously, that's something that his mom wants to make sure that, that he does. 
easy to tell mom, yes, I'll make sure I never let anybody tell me where I don't belong, a lot harder to actually believe that and act as though one believes that. And that's part of what my, the, the courage that Miles has to find within himself uh, when all of this is happening, of course. So there's that part of it. But then also, we talk about the meta nature of this movie. And I almost hate saying meta because I know that makes it almost sound very trivial because usually when things are meta, they're kind of mocking within that. And it's almost mocking to call it out as the audience member, but then it also it's, runs the risk of being... The, the storytelling that's being meta also runs the risk of, or maybe it's not a risk because maybe they want to do it, mocking the audience or whatever it is. Somebody's getting mocked when things go meta. And that's not really what I pick up on in this, although there is a specific commentary in terms of what some of this represents, and it is an acknowledgement of it. And I say that because of what is easily detected within the story. But if we want to talk about the authorial intent, uh, the directors of this movie did uh, confirm this point, those directors being Joaquim Dos Santos, uh, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson in an interview with Nerdist by John Puricello. Had a conversation, a great interview, by the way, that you should just check out. I'm sure it's on Nerdist uh, YouTube channel. And so ask them just specifically of whether or not, you know, some of these things that Miguel is saying to Miles, if that represents in, in any sort of way some of the conversation that was had by, by fans and, and naysayers for Miles Morales over the years, but especially when that character was first being introduced. And they said, absolutely. That is absolutely something that they were intended to, to go for and comment on um, with, this, with these points that Miguel was making, the idea that Miles can't be Spider-Man, was never supposed to be Spider-Man, doesn't belong as Spider-Man. And, you know, he points to, you know, Miles is an inherent flaw within the mythology of Spider-Man, within the Spider-Verse. And that's what, and look, you can go back to, and, and I can't believe it's already been, you know, almost 12 years since, Miles Morales still feels like a very new character to me, mm -hmm. but he's, he's not that new. Um, but you go back to some of the conversations that were had about Miles when uh, that character was being introduced of why is this why is this character being brought in to be a spider-man he's not the real spider-man he's not whatever um nobody's technically the real spider-man they're all fictional um but anyway there was all of this di the very dismissive attitude for various reasons um including obviously some that are just totally invalid um and, and people many that are totally invalid of all these reasons to, to discount, dismiss the idea of Miles as Spider-Man and the idea that Miles Morales could be Spider-Man. And I, I would say a lot of that conversation kind of quieted down as the years went on. And I haven't heard, certainly haven't seen it be or heard it be as loud since Into the Spider-Verse. But you know, it's it's been there. It's been part of the conversation and part of the history of the character. And so for them to use to incorporate that uh, as part of the challenge that Miles faces and criticisms and, as I said, totally invalid criticisms and, and arguments and everything against Miles over the years in and, and but largely outside of the stories that were told in comic book pages and now in movies for Miles to to give him a chance to answer back to all of that within the story and for him to answer it so emphatically in the way that he bests Miguel O'Hara. And I know there's obviously the challenges that lie ahead for Miles Morales, but 
it's very it's very different. We don't often get a chance to see a superhero character fight for and establish their own validity to just be a character, to be the character who they are as a fictional character, but as a fictional character who also means a lot to actual people and represents a lot of actual people. We don't really see characters get a chance to fight for the validation of their own existence in this sort of way um, in debates that are had in and outside of a story. That's a very unique thing for Miles Morales to have an opportunity to address in this movie, but that is really him fully accepting, seeing him have the chance to to prove, not because he had to prove it to anyone else. He didn't have to prove it to Miguel O'Hara or anyone else because he shouldn't have to prove it to anyone other than proving it to himself that he feel that he accepts himself that he feels like he belongs that is i know you know miles doesn't have a total win at the end of this by the nature of how it ends but i think he's already gained his greatest victory with the the way he and the way he responds to all of those criticisms and all of those arguments to miguel to prove more than anyone else to himself that miles morales belongs and he is spider-man uh, yeah, and this is what I was going to talk about earlier. That Miles' whole, you know, more, uh, theme is is, is self worth and, and people telling you what again, what you can and can't do based upon the canon about what what is the order, right? And I think it's very fitting. They used I, I talked about um, Spider Punk and Gwen and this whole punk rock against all authority, and that you can't be just a a sheep all the time and you've got to go, you know, really look at your, the leadership and really question what is Canon. Right. And again, Canon is not just, you know, just stories and things like that. It's, it's also life. Like what is leading you is the way you're doing things always going to be the right way to do it. And when is it, when is it correct? When is breaking Canon, whether it be in story your own life. Those are the greater things. And again, it's very, that's why I say it's super meta. And and I, I love the, what the storytellers are trying to do because again, they're trying to better people. And I think that when you look at this from that perspective that the canon represents, you know, these things in our life that are these, this normalcy mm-hmm. and what, and what that is. And I think that, you know, when, and when is it time to go rebel against the authority or against the rules or against your, your, your usual, you know, safe, you know, ways, if you will. And, and listen, I think the, the one thing about this movie is that it it shows you how many people are there comfortable and happy with where they are, but no one's telling, they're only telling one person that you're at, you're out of character. And what, why is that? And, you know, it's because you're not, it's not completely normal to what was around it. There's, there's this rejection around it. Like, no, 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 that's, that's not normal. And I think that's what I love about miles that he represents, I think, not just for comic books. Again, I go back to fandom, he's representing that whole idea of what it means to be when you do upend something and try something new. What is that? And when people are telling you that whatever you're enjoying or whatever, it's not right. It's breaking. You know, you're you represent this. It has to be stopped. And I think that the that's the emphasis of it's not looking at the whole emphasize that Miguel is saying of it has to be stopped. 
as a negative thing. It's like it's just what the way he's built. He's trying to he's trying to prevent this awful thing from happening. And if in the film context, yeah, and Miles, and it's an awful thing that he witnessed too, right? Because he tells right. his own backstory, so that right. that also illustrates the stakes from him is in his mind, and and as he's seen it through his eyes, the stakes are are incredibly real. That if you don't mm. let these things, if you don't preserve the canon, if you don't honor the canon, then the worst possible things happen to, um, you know, just and and. and just as I said, trillions of people, I mean, you're eliminating an entire timeline, like the trillions of lives we talked about for pruning timelines and stuff in Loki. Like that's, that is Miguel O'Hara's perspective on this, which again, it's, it's not, it's not arbitrary for him in, in any sort of way, which is why it's, it's easy to, right. we can be on Miles' side and understand and, and, and root for Miles, but it's not hard to, to understand where Miguel is, uh, where Miguel is coming from. Yeah. And I think that where, where Miles is, you know, is being told like, you know, you are not this. And I think the other thing is, you know, that we're going to get out of this. And it kind of goes back to like emphasize again, reemphasizing the whole, you know, anyone could put on the mask, but when people tell you, you can't do something, it doesn't mean they're right. And these are all obvious things, but I think in this context, it's even more unique because it, they're saying like you're an accident. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what's a beauty of what Miles is rejecting. And I think that to me is what I'm excited about what they're where they're gonna explore in the next film because it's it in in a very broad sense, that's what the theme is, is that Miles is being told you are an accident, your self-worth is actually um excuse me, you're an accident and that you happen, you know, you, you don't really deserve this, this title because you are not, you know, you weren't really given the normal way. And, and I think that's where we're going to get is that Miles is going to prove that the whole, the whole point of the first film, anyone could put on the mask and represent that. And that doesn't matter. The canon breaking things isn't, isn't what it is. It's, they're going to, it's, it's, it's going to reveal that somewhere the canon breaking stuff is, is not. And when you, you, there's ways around it. And when you, and there's going to be a, an order of like acceptance of the canon breaking things. And that when one, when one canon breaks, it actually can be mended through something else. And I think that it's, it's going to be somehow through acceptance in my opinion. And I think that that's where, you know, all these teams are pointing towards that. And I love the idea that, you know, when people are saying like, you don't deserve this, you're not, you're an accident, you know, you're, you're talking down to you and not just like the fact like you can't do this. Like, no, 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 you don't deserve this. There's a difference of like, I, almost, there's a the same thing, but it's one's way more of a, of a negative and like a talking down to. And, and that one is obviously the way you're being told, like, you don't deserve this. You were never meant to be this. So you don't, you shouldn't have to, you know, you don't deserve to be here and you whatever. Right. And so I think that there's, there's something to that, and I love that this whole tale we're brought on by Miles is is emphasized through this. And I I thought it was in a beautiful story, and I can't I, I really can't wait to see where it goes and where the themes and the and the, and the morale sto- the moral stories excuse me um, goes into that third film. So yeah, I, I loved everything that Miles has brought on with this. Right, and and also I mean in terms of the debate that the characters are having, it's not like Miles is saying oh the canon doesn't actually matter and, and everything that you've been doing is completely useless and none of it has any meaning. Miles would never be so rude even if he felt that way, but he's not being dismissive of that. He's just pointing out, and as as you said, I mean, the key to solving it may be accepted. I mean, there already is some measures they can take, right? Because Miles prevents 
the death of Captain Singh, and we see them doing you know, what they're doing to preserve that universe or that dimension so it doesn't just totally um, you know, dissolve within itself or anything like that. So we see that there are some measures that they can take. Now, obviously, maybe they have to do something. They don't feel as confident in their ability to do something on a larger scale, but it's very much like Miles, Miles seeing this as, I'm not saying that what you're talking about isn't real. I'm just saying there has to be another way. And, and part of being Spider-Man means finding that other way and, and not just accepting. Mm -hmm. There's, we can accept the idea that, we, I mean, as a spider person, accepting the idea that we can't save everyone, but that doesn't remove the, that doesn't remove the responsibility for us to try. And I think that is so just essentially Spider-Man core principle type of stuff to really get into that of, which is, is also very Spider-Man no way home, right? Cause look at the, look at the debate that Dr. Strange and Peter Parker have where Dr. Strange is like, Hey, that's their fate. They go back and they die in their universe and that's their problem. And that's their issue. And we're not responsible for that. But Peter Parker doesn't just buy into that. Doesn't just accept that says, well, we have to try some other way. And so they do. And it works out in Spider-Man No Way Home. And they'll find some way for it to try something else, not just accept that. I mean, we can, again, accepting the idea, the inevitability that you won't save, save everyone, that's one thing, but that doesn't mean you just accept it before you've even tried to save as many people as you can. And that's what, of course, Miles is advocating for here and that's what he is fighting for all the way through and just fighting to escape this hub to, in order to be able to do that. And, and that sequence, by the way, of that, that whole chase sequence of the entire Spider-Verse, basically, after Miles Morales was just, when we talk about the visual feast of this movie, like that was where I was ready to just explode. Like that was so, so incredibly cool. And, and I loved every bit of that so much uh it was just it, it was really awesome and and i liked how miguel was just how clever he was to really work out his whole plan and and everything that he discovered earlier on again being sent back to the home dimension and he had uh, and he had that plan which also sets up what happens at the end because they send you it sent the machine reads the the dna and sends you to the home dimension which miles has the uh, dimension 42 dna because that's the spider that bit him um but even that idea of of belonging and that idea of Miles, you know, Miguel can say as much as he wants that, you know, that his, he was bit by a spider in another dimension. Well, Miles isn't the one who called that spider to his dimension. He's not the one who made those types of things happen. So, you know, Miles was there. And so you could certainly argue that if, if it happened, then it was meant to happen or regardless of whether or not it was meant to happen, it was just some random thing None of that removes uh, removes Miles or, or his ability or dismisses his ability to belong or anything like that. He belongs because he is who he is and he is Spider-Man and because of the choices that he's going to make, because of the responsibility that he is willing to accept, that he is willing to take on. And, and Spider-Man being something that he will prove he belongs as not just in this moment, but something he understands and accepts that he will continue proving to himself as much as anyone else, really, uh, by continuing to be anyone who goes in and wears on the, wears the mask and, and accepts all of the responsibility 
that comes with it, which is just, as I said, we're, this is just essential superhero storytelling, but in, in, in it's, you could say all of this stuff is superhero tropes and Spider-Man tropes and whatever the case may be, but the way it's all packaged and the way it's all put together here in this movie um, is unique to the perspective of this movie. It is unique to the character of Miles Morales and, and what his story uh, the types of stories that this character allows you to tell and and, every, and the way that we get to connect with him as audience members, all of that is just so incredibly well done throughout uh, throughout all of this movie. And I, I think, I, I know, and there's other stuff I know that we haven't necessarily dove into as deep. I mean, we get Peter B. Parker again and we get Mayday Parker and all of that stuff is is great, and we don't get as much of the cast from Into the Spider-Verse, although we start to see them in the end, because we're going to get ready to as we ramp up for Beyond the Spider-Verse. But I'm not sure which order to go in next, Paul. I think maybe we'll talk about, maybe we should talk about the end, and then we'll, we'll circle back to all the other things that we missed. So for the end of this movie, um, or not that we're feeling the end, but Miles gets this victory where he escapes and he's going to go back to his home dimension. But as I said, it's based on a DNA reading, which sends him to dimension 42. And that was a dimension that never got to have its Spider-Man because that spider never bit a Peter Parker. And so in that dimension, Miles's father has died. And, and I, I don't know if we mentioned this in the podcast, but you saw the movie, so you already know that the uh, the the one of the things that Miles is not going to accept is the future death of his father. So he's going back to he thinks he's going back to his home dimension to save his father, not just because he loves his dad, but also I, I think it goes. I I think Miles would still try to because as he showed with Captain Singh, I think Miles would. It could be anybody. If Miles knew that somebody was in danger, that somebody was going to die unless he intervened, then he was going to go intervene. And if that meant that other lives would be at would be potentially at risk, well, then same principle applies. Find a way to save as many as he can and not just accept that someone has to die without without trying to, again, save save everyone if you can. But that's not where Miles ends up. He doesn't end up in his home dimension. Gwen ends up there trying to find Miles, realizes he's not there. Miles, meanwhile, is in Dimension 42, where as he actually finally is willing to tell his mom that he is Spider-Man, she has no idea who that is, no frame of reference whatsoever for Spider-Man. And then when Miles is picked up by his uncle Aaron, who is alive in this dimension, he is taken to, uh, to meet the Prowler. He thinks that his uncle Aaron is the Prowler, but no in this dimension, as Miles is bound, it is Miles Morales of Dimension 42 who Damn. is the Prowler as Miles comes face-to-face -face with himself. Meanwhile, Gwen is assembling a team to go help Miles, uh, on to help rescue Miles from Dimension 42 and also just help in his overall mission to save Spot and also save all of the Spider-Verse. So lots that still have to be done when we go into when we go beyond the Spider Verse next year, Paul. But this ending, uh, we'll we'll have the separate debate about cliffhangers in a second. But I I really loved this ending. I, I as soon as I I had lost track of the the DNA rule. I I, I don't know why. I just well because I, I think I had just been so 
happy with everything that I had just seen with the confrontation with Miguel and, and everything that happened uh, throughout that hub and, and Miles escaping that for a second there, I, I forgot about the DNA thing. So I wasn't even I, I wasn't even thinking that we were about to be uh, that we were about to get this swerve. But then as soon as Miles says, I'm Spider-Man, who's that? It's like, oh, because I mean, and the way it's cut it makes it seem like Gwen is showing up in the same uh, in the same spot and, and all of those things. But this ending just totally rocked me. And then there was no question, like once we knew Miles was in a was in a different dimension, it's like, OK, well, the Prowler is going to be it's going to be another Miles. And that's what we're going to see here. All of that was was great, but I, I knew we were headed for the end, though. Once that reveal happened, you can hear the music kind of swelling, or at least I could, and you could just tell it we were ramping up to, I would say, if you don't want to call it an ending, a stopping point at this point in the story, the cliffhanger, whatever you want to call it, it felt like that to me. So I wasn't surprised when we just hit the, the credits, although some uh, members of my audience were surprised that it was just over right then and there. But I, I feel like this is, yeah, you, you are ending it as, as a cliffhanger, I, I would say. And, and we'll talk about the, the merits of that, good or bad or, or whatever, in, in a moment. But I would just say, as far as what is happening here in the story and the way this gets me excited for what happens next, I'm glad there's a whole movie after this moment. I, I don't think that if you're going to do, like, I'm, I want them to do this. I love the idea of Miles meeting another version of himself, especially after he was just told he didn't belong. What is that version? What is Miles Morales if he never became Spider-Man? And I don't want to make assumptions, by the way, about who this Miles is. Just because he's the Prowler doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, if Miles hadn't been bitten by a spider or there was no other Spider-Man, that Miles Morales would have definitely been an evil guy I don't actually think that that is the message here, and I don't think that that's the message that's ultimately going to be conveyed in Beyond the Spider-Verse. And do I know exactly what they're going to do? Of course not. But I, I think having this idea of the whole idea of, of belonging, ultimately, you're the one who is, is in charge of deciding where you, do, where you feel you do or don't belong. And so that idea of Miles, of Miles kind of confronting and meeting an alternate version of himself, an alternate perspective from himself, I, I think will ultimately allow him to just explore who he is on uh, who he is on a deeper level. And I think what we'll see from the Miles who became the Prowler is probably going to surprise us and may not be all that it seems right when we first see it. I don't think they're doing all this just to have a Miles versus Miles fight. This is really mm -hmm. to deepen the identity exploration and the, the notion of self-acceptance and belonging within Miles, that's what this is about to do. And I'm glad they're going to spend a whole movie doing that as opposed to let's introduce this concept and wrap it all up in a tight 15 because we have to end this movie. They don't. Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse are perfectly fine being a two-parter. And so if you want to go ahead and make the argument that this isn't necessarily a complete story all by itself... I'm fine with that in this instance, because this story, everything that it was all the way up until we get this ending and including this ending, I absolutely loved. And, and even with that cliffhanger, I didn't feel disappointment. I didn't feel, um, I, I didn't feel shortchanged. I didn't feel like I didn't get the, the complete movie or anything like that. I felt like I got a complete cinematic experience. Well, that 
a complete cinema or complete enough for now cinematic experience with a whole lot of anticipation and looking forward to what would come next. And so I'm all about it. And and I think everything that they are, that they have introduced in this movie, especially where they bring it to at the other, at at the end, it demands a whole other chapter to this story as, as opposed to just one more, one or two more final scenes. So I'm, I'm happy with the way this ended up. I don't have any problems with the ending as it is. And I, I kind of feel like most people don't. If they're, you wouldn't see the A cinema score, you wouldn't see this box office, you wouldn't see all these, t- all of the, the glowing reception to this movie. We wouldn't see all these things if a bunch of people were mad that the movie ended this way. Um, I, I think people were, were very happy with the adventure that they just went on and are just incredibly excited for the adventure that's still to come. So, with the huge opening weekend that we just saw from Into the Spider-Verse to Across the Spider-Verse, we'll see another big jump um, when we get to the opening weekend for Beyond the Spider-Verse next year. And, and deservedly so because of an incredible movie with an ending that just that just begs for the, the next story and just gives the audience the appetite for it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to echo a little, everything you said, but I want to add this one little thing. The Prowler was something I wasn't expecting. The whole reveal at the end within the alternate dimension. It's a brilliant, brilliant story idea. And I'm sorry, the design of that Prowler costume is chef's kiss. Oh, my God. That looks incredible. And I cannot wait to get a nice looking action figure of that. Cause, and honestly, like the, the, this, the whole idea of miles versus miles, it's like the, his, you know, again, I talked about Gwen's, you know, kind of her punk rock personality with this like loving personality and how there are two vastly different aspects of their character and how like by themselves are very kind of oxymoron. And, and you have to kind of figure out the blending of those two. You literally have that with, this miles and you know with prowler miles and you have that with you know regular miles and what that means and are is this prowler a, a bad guy necessarily and because again uncle Aaron was someone miles looked up to in the in his own universe so the again the themes and complexity of this is i is just going to be incredible and i cannot wait to see that unfold because it, it goes again with the whole idea of are you who they, you know, are you, people tell you to be a certain way? Is that where you have to accept or can you just keep pushing it on to what you want to be, you know, what you think you need to be? And I think that's what the Prowler will represent for Miles, of, of that idea of, you know, is he that is he that way because of, of Uncle Aaron or is he that way because that's that version of Miles is or, or what, you know, a combination? I don't know. It's There's a lot of fascinating aspects with that character in this next movie, so I can't wait to see it. Well, I think in the same way that we can get Miguel O'Hara's story and say this isn't an evil guy, right. we can get this version of Miles' story and say it's it's not that Miles would have been evil if he, unless he got lucky enough to be bitten by a radioactive spider from a different dimension. I mean, who we are, it's a reflection of the choices we make, and the choices that we make can be based on the experiences that, that we have. And so... I think what you're going to see is, as I said, I think it's just going to be a very rich and very deep character exploration through these different Miles Morales, through the Prowler version, 
and the Spider-Man version. And yes, I, I do think we will get a fight of Miles Spider-Man versus um, Miles Prowler. I think that will totally happen and it will be exciting visually. But I, I think the debate between the two and what Miles ultimately learns about and accepts within himself as he continues on with his journey of, of self-discovery and acceptance and feeling of belonging, the Miles that we know, the Spider-Man Miles, um, and probably we'll get some of that for for Prowler Miles as well, but it's all just going to be about um, really enriching our, our experience with that character and, and showing us more about who he is as he discovers more about who he really is and, and who he chooses to be. And so I think that is going to be all of that stuff. It's, it's just ripe with storytelling possibilities and just continuing and resolving Miles' character arc for the purposes of this Spider-Verse trilogy. Um, I, I think we had a really special movie with this one and has a potential to just continue being special with mm-hmm. uh, with Beyond the Spider-Verse. I, I do want to talk just quickly in the, the general sense of the idea of the cliffhanger ending, because I think from a Marvel context, the most immediate comparison that people would point to would be Infinity War and Endgame. This would be an illustration of why I've always argued Infinity, and many have, I'm not the only one. Infinity War is not a cliffhanger. It's just a movie in which Thanos wins. He wins. He goes off and celebrates his victory with a smile. Um, relaxing, you know, morning sit uh, with a smile. That's the end of Infinity War. The hero's just lost, and that's the end of the movie. And then they have to go ahead and, and try and get a different victory in Avengers Endgame. This really is more of a cliffhanger where you really are cutting out in the middle of it. I mean, Miles has just been kidnapped by an alternate dimension version of himself. And meanwhile, a team is being assembled to rescue slash aid Miles in in his adventure going forward. And so in in cutting out right in the middle there, um, that definitely feels more like a cliffhanger. But it happens in movies. And I think when you already know that the next movie, it's being made. It's largely been made. It's it's coming out next year. I really don't have any issue with this. And and I know that ultimately what we're going to be looking at, this was a really, really satisfying individual cinematic adventure. Obviously, you want to see what happens next. And and ultimately, I think the best version of this is going to be well, really a triple feature of all the Spider-Verse movies, but certainly a double feature of Across the Spider-Verse and Beyond the Spider-Verse. But for most of the time that we will spend with that movies, we will all be able to do that. So I don't really Mm -hmm. have, I really don't have an issue. I I don't think there is um, some inherent flaw in the movie or that the movie needs to be downgraded at all uh, because it has a cliffhanger ending I am perfectly fine with this ending as it is with the full understanding and, and you better believe incredible anticipation of, yeah, I, I want to watch Beyond the Spider-Verse just as soon as I can. It's still many months away, but um, I am I am no less satisfied with this movie because of the way that it ended. Um, it is still, in my initial, still relatively immediate impression, uh, an all-timer. So it doesn't impact that for me whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I don't think that um, this... Yeah, the, the to me the ending is is it needs to be what it is, and it, I think you're just going to be able to move on and 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 be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think this movie just has done a great job of setting everything up 
in that what you need to have. And there's no, it's weird because I, I never, I, I never felt that this, this was a cliffhanger, but like, like you said, a continuation. So I don't know. I, I, I never, I don't, I don't see too many people complain about it on my end personally, though. No, I mean, and as I said, I, I think people are just, they saw an incredible movie and they can't wait to see what happens next. And yeah. really, it, it sets them up to do that. I mean, it literally is a to be continued uh, in yeah, the exactly. way that they, they construct it. So before we get into the, the MCU stuff, I, I want to make sure, I know you already mentioned the character, Paul. I haven't had a, a chance to get into or have, uh, in all my ramblings about this movie, haven't spent a lot of time talking about Hobie Brown, Spider-Punk, as voiced by Daniel Kaluuya. And yeah, I think that is a really pivotal character in this story. And because there is the essential question around that character of, because he's very much questioning any and all authority, resisting any and all authority. But as we meet him, he is a member of this task force from Miguel O'Hara. So he is part of the elite squad and he has signed up for this mission to some extent. But what I like about what that message actually says in a character, and look, Daniel Kaluuya is just cool as hell in the voice, and the animation style for the character is just also cool as hell. But I think what's essential about the character is just because when you talk, uh, Paul, as you said, you know, really challenging the norm, questioning the norm, and, and all of that being part of it, and not just assuming that that's the right thing because that's the way it's always been or that's the way that you know, have known it or have understood it. I think the character Spider-Punk or, or Hobie is really essential in that theme. And, and I know he doesn't spend as much time in the movie as, as other characters, but he's in there long enough to make that necessary impact because I think this is the character that really is... All these characters do a great job of informing Miles in their own way, but the message that a character like Hobie sends and that idea of just because you've you've accepted the purpose of a mission or you've accepted that there might be something that needs to be done that's, you know, the the Spider-Verse worth saving and all of those things doesn't mean you accept any and every argument put forward to you all the time for always. So, and even, even his parting message to Miles and the idea of, you know, just because they're just don't buy this before they sell it to you, just because they invite you on the team doesn't mean you have to buy what they're selling because even Hobie may have done so initially, but then also had some reservations that you can still question things. You can still question the norm that you don't just go along with what tradition, what tradition dictates or what some set of rules are already dictates that you do or whatever the case may be. I think that part of this for miles and that it's part of nobody gets to dictate your story to you. And that that's also part of it, you know, no, in the same, that the idea that nobody gets to tell you that, that you don't belong and, and all of those things that is part of the message that, that Miles is carrying on from his own mother. This is Hobie's own way of communicating that similar type of idea. And that feeds into what Gwen is saying in, in her whole idea, because she's got her own punk rock quality that's, as you've pointed out, that's also there in the beginning of her story with a sequence and, and even what she's talking about, right? Like that whole idea of, I always wanted to be a member of a band, but also ended up alone because I couldn't actually find my band. I couldn't actually find the people that I gelled with. And I think that's what you see is all of these different spider people from across this, but specifically Gwen and, and Miles and, and even Hobie in, in his own way, 
that uh, that whole idea of finding acceptance and finding belonging that is you know your ability to kind of choose your own your own destiny your own feeling of who you belong with and the where you find that sense of family where you find that that sense of friendship of camaraderie of all of those different types of things like all of that i i thought was was really well done and and, and all of that i think is really still very pivotal in Miles Morales' own story, and that's pivotal for just about anyone's story. Like you can, it's not hard to really find out what's relatable in uh, in all of that. That part of the reason you feel may feel like you don't necessarily belong is you may not have found your tribe, and so, and sometimes you got to find it all the way across different dimensions in a Spider Verse, which you know we don't necessarily get to travel in, in quite that way. Um, but I, I think that idea of you know these characters finding their band and, and forming their band which they're going to go save their their soon to be newest member in Miles Morales at the end of this i, I thought was really really great and and care and and hobie kind of representing that uh and hobie really representing that idea of of questioning not necessarily just immediately rebelling for rebelling's sake but also, but really just that idea of you do uh, a little skepticism isn't isn't such a bad thing because um, universal acceptance can also be you know just always accepting everything everyone tells you that doesn't necessarily always work out either. So that whole idea of of, of questioning um, that in that rebellious spirit that Hobie conveys um, is also really really that's really really strong and that's a, a great way of conveying that sense of individuality that. Part of belonging is is accepting who you are in the ways that maybe you're similar, but also in the ways that you're different. Yeah, absolutely. And I love everything about Hobie was really fascinating. And I, yeah, I I said already kind of already before he represents that whole. He's kind of the heart of of I think of how Gwen and 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 Miles kind of find themselves he pushes them to become more of who they are mm. and i and i love that aspect of spider punk because that is very much a punk rock aspect which is embracing who you are and and not and 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 becoming that individual uh having that more individuality within the greater system and that's what he represents and i love that that's what punk rock is very much so so yeah i love that very and again use sparingly but effectively yeah. Well, and I, I think he had value in being there in that. That was also kind of his, the value of him joining that team is he had the chance to reach others, right? You know, he had a chance mm-hmm. to, he already knew and was already sure of his ability to kind of question things. And even if he could believe in a mission might still be able to question some of the ideas that are, that are part of that mission or part of that ideal and maybe making sure, you know, inspiring others to let them know it's okay for them to ask their questions as well. Um, and not just assume that all of this is correct and there's no other way to go about this um, was was huge for for Miles and, and for Gwen. But before we before we wrap up, obviously we want to talk about this being MCU fan show. Of course, we want to talk a, a little bit about the MCU implications of this uh, because we do have. Look, we never saw a Prowler suit being worn by the Aaron Davis in Spider-Man Homecoming. So I do think it's a little bit of a leap to just assume that's one that the Donald Glover we see is as Aaron Davis is the same one in Across the Spider-Verse as we saw in Homecoming. We don't know at this point. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But he doesn't necessarily need to be in order to kind of prove what we already can take away from 
Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker being part of this um, that ties them into if Amazing Spider-Man and the Raimi Spider-Man are tied into the Spider-Verse. Well, if they're connected to all these other dimensions within the Spider-Verse, we already also know they're they're connected to the MCU 616, which is not the number that Miguel O'Hara gives them. Um, But if they're tied to the MCU as they were in Spider-Man No Way Home and also tied to to the Spider-Verse, then obviously this is all part of one, the Spider-Verse and the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse are all still connected in their own officially unofficial sort of way, which I think, Paul, we knew. I, I think we expected. Yes. I am I'm very happy with how this was done. I, I think that there was... And who knows what will happen in Beyond the Spider-Verse. I, I, we probably, I would guess that we probably will see a more overt MCU sort of connection uh, in Beyond the Spider-Verse next year. But this was, I thought, the right way to do it in that it allows you to, as an audience member, just reach the natural conclusion that you might by some of the visual uh, cues that you are given. And so we are free to take that and have a little bit of fun with that for now. But I like that it's not so overt. I I like that they didn't smash us over the head with it to where that becomes the story of this movie. The story of this movie should not be what it may, what it's connected to and what may ultimately happen after we get through beyond the Spider-Verse. I think it did a great job of inviting everything to the party as part of the Spider-Verse, including these Spider-Man cinematic franchises that have then been tied into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Go ahead and do all that. Have, uh, have some fun with that. But that's not the point of what we're doing. The point of this movie is not to launch this Miles into the MCU or anything like that. And that's not what the conversation around this movie needs to be, which is why, you know, it it took us a couple hours to get to this point in the podcast where this is what we're actually talking about, because it's not the main point of this movie. It's not the biggest thing. Uh, It's certainly not the biggest achievement within this movie. It's just a cool thing for right now that sets up some things that they probably will continue to build on and beyond the Spider-Verse. I would be surprised if we make it through beyond the Spider-Verse and we still don't see or hear Tom Holland in any sort of way. But I, I know long-term, my hope is that the miles from this universe makes it into, although now that I'd say this probably, this might blow a hole in it though, because my idea was, well, miles would just be live action, but in a live action universe, he would look live action, but that's not the way this works. You look like your, your home medium is the way are the rules of the spider verse, apparently uh, with the way that we see it. But cause I love this version of miles and would love to see him continue on. But Regardless, a version of Miles, uh, although this makes it seem like there's only one Miles Morales who ever becomes Spider-Man. So maybe he will, it will be him some in some way, shape or form that makes it into the MCU. Because I do look live action. Miles Morales is coming. It's going to happen. We are going to see it at some point in uh, in the MCU, Spider-Verse, whatever you want to call it. But that's just let that be the promise and something exciting for the future. That's not the story of, of today. The story of today is across the, uh, across the Spider-Verse, just immediately, in, in my view anyway, and I have a hard time imagining that uh, it will that this opinion will erode, but because my 
initial reaction is this really is a, a genuine all-timer and landmark achievement in animation, in superhero-based movies, and one that deserves to be recognized in, in all the many ways that, that it can be recognized, and, and not that recognition and awards are needed to validate a movie, but it is nice when the people who work so hard to tell such amazing stories about these characters we love so much, when they are recognized, especially when there is a truly special achievement, and across the, the, the Spider-Verse certainly qualifies as that. So that's my thoughts on the MCU of it all. It's nice to see this happen. Yes, it's fun and exciting, but right now it, it really is more of a fun aside um, that is just kind of a, a, a nice little bonus on, on top of a truly special story um, that is a, about so much more than, as I said, what it's connected to. It's about what it, a, a story that beautifully sums up, expands on the idea from Into the Spider-Verse, which is what it means to be Spider-Man, um, when there is, while incorporating the notion that anyone can wear the mask, this goes beyond that by talking about not only by further exploring what it means to be Spider-Man, but also, as I said at the top, what it means to be a Spider-Man fan and however you may have become that, however you may have entered the Spider-Verse yourself, the validity of your of Miles' story, of our own stories as, as fans, all of that is is all summed up so beautifully in this movie called Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. They've already done so much that it feels like there isn't even that much more they have to do in Beyond the Spider-Verse, but I know they're going to prove me wrong on that. I'm, I'm sure they're going to do so much more, but what they've given us in Across the Spider-Verse is something that I already know that we're going to be cherished, that we will cherish, and we're going to be talking about this movie for years to come as an all-time classic. Well said. I, I really couldn't say anything else besides that, Sean. This is a both films are incredible achievements in animation, I think in storytelling, and will go down as some of the best Spider-Man stories to ever be created across all mediums, including comics, uh, live action. And that is saying something for, you know, my favorite character of all time. So there's I mean, there's so much to unpack. We we just scratched the surface, but um, but yeah, this is a achievement and i i'm so glad that we're we have to see we're seeing i think a true work of art on screen to a mainstream audience yeah and uh i think the audience is responding accordingly and giving sony all of their money so as, as sony has <laughs> earned this time out with spider-man yes. across the spider-verse and have, as they've earned before spider-man into the spider-verse and plenty of their live action stuff so it's been it's amazing and and i love seeing the response to this movie being what it is, not just the money, because I don't get any of that money, um, but really more important than that, just like with the first one, is that's what this movie has in common. Yes, the box office is going, is much, much, it's going to be much, much higher for Across the Spider-Verse than Into the Spider-Verse, but what they both have in common is the way they are, both movies have the ability to really reach an audience and connect with the audience that is watching them, whether that audience is a is a critic or a, a longtime Spider-Man fan or a casual Spider-Man fan, whatever that means, or it's somebody who's watching their very first Spider-Man movie or his kids, whatever the age may be, doesn't really matter. Um, if you're sitting in a theater watching or eventually sitting at home, ideally in a theater, go do that while you can to, to go see this movie. 
everybody is is being reached and and affected by and and well maybe not literally everybody but most who overwhelmingly majority of those who see this movie just like into the spider verse uh, are being reached by it are are connecting with it and are really truly being moved by it and and I think really being impacted by that experience in a a very meaningful very positive way. At least I know that was the case for me, and I'm guessing um, I'm not at all alone uh, in in that respect. So that is where we will wrap up our spoiler review. Make sure you check out Fanshow Plus, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Also on Apple Podcasts, if you search for Fanshow Plus or the MCU Fanshow channel, find it there and subscribe so you can get those exclusive podcasts. Again, more stuff coming up on uh, on the podcast about the latest with Marvel productions being on hold while the WGA strike is still ongoing. Also going to be talking more about uh, the box office for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and uh, plenty, plenty more uh, on the way. And also lots of other stuff that I've been talking about over on Fan Show Plus of late. So make sure you check those uh, check that out in those places that you can. Also follow us in the places you can. We're, we're at MCU Fan Show on Instagram. And Twitter, don't forget that Apple Podcast review if you haven't done so already. If you have, thank you. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Go over and please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. We'll be doing another uh, Across the Spider-Verse review. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we got Rob, who's awesome. I always forget his last name. I apologize. Uh, Rob always mis- mis- forgets my stuff, so I don't feel so bad. Um, but no, Rob from Making Star Wars, um, uh, comic artist, great visual artist, fantastic. You know, he's going to come on the show, and we're going to just talk it up. I've been on his show, uh, his YouTube channel, a number of times. We go and analyze comics together. It's been rad. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time. And if you guys know Rob at all, this this dude is legit artist and just takes it mega seriously. I mean, this is a profession, right? But he's going to really – I'm really – I'm actually – I don't have no idea what he thinks of it. I know he likes it, obviously, but – I'm just can't wait to see what he breaks down like, visually. So I think that's going to be a treat for a lot of people. Um, yeah, follow the saga continues and uh, on on Twitter and, and YouTube, all that stuff, or on YouTube, but on the podcast. Sorry, I'm really tired. And uh, yeah, that'd be really appreciated, guys. Thank you, everybody. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.